It's good to see you all this morning, and um, just want to mention about our, our custom here on Sunday nights at Rock Valley Bible Church during this COVID season has been to be outside as much as possible, um, and that's on Sunday evenings in lieu of a small groups. We've sought to, to do that, and I looked at the weather uh, outside tonight, and um, it's, it's looking pretty bad. So ignore that side, just uh, over over here. It's looking looking pretty bad. We're not going to meet outside, but we're going to meet inside tonight. And, and again, we're just going to pick up from Acts. We're going to look at uh, the passage that I'll be preaching next week. And if you will, you'll essentially come into my study and uh, help me begin my week, just in terms of uh, a message to bring all of us. We look at at uh, at Acts two, um, hopefully beginning at verse twenty two and following when Jesus when. Peter speaks of the gospel of Christ and speaks of Jesus. We'll meet here at 5.30 for a time of just mixing, and uh, we'll, 6 o'clock is when we'll start prompt. So if you're at 6.01, you'll be late, because we're going to start right at 6. We'll be done by 7. Uh, I just think you'll be encouraged as you start with us in our study. So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Oh, Father, as we think this Sunday about Pentecost and your Spirit's coming I am, I am entirely aware that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless you bring your spirit, God, all speaking and preaching is entirely in vain. Uh, God, apart from your, um, your working and your grace um, in the lives of people. This uh, says, John, Jesus said, the spirit would come and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And we know the Holy Spirit is within us who believe, God, that just it will sanctify us and purify us in your truth. And so I pray for your spirit to, to come and be among us and fill us, encourage us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in uh, 1998, my kids are embarrassed at this moment, at least one of them is. This is uh, May of 1998 when Avon and I had an opportunity to go to Israel. Um, we, we went part of the master seminary. We went as a, as a three-week class there in Israel. And there you see us on the Mount of Olives uh, overlooking uh, the holy city of Jerusalem. Um, maybe you can see the, the golden dome there that is called the Dome of the Rock. It is a... Uh, um, it is a mosque now, but that's built right on the Temple Mount, right where uh, the temple was. Um, just, it's kind of a predominant mark there. You can just see even Jesus on, the, uh, on uh, Palm Sunday when he went down the Kidron Valley. That's just how far he walked when he went uh, there into the temple uh, to be with the, the people. And there we were in uh, 1998. We were a lot younger back then. Uh, this was shortly before we had our very first meeting at Rock Valley Bible Church, uh, very first Bible study here. And uh, while we were there, we did a lot of things. I just pulled a few pictures. We visited Galilee, where Jesus set, fed the 5,000. And, and here is a little mosaic that's on the front of a church commemorating that event when Jesus fed the 5,000 with uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. We, we had a chance to take a, a boat ride. Oops, I'm sorry. Here we had a, a boat ride across uh, the Sea of Galilee. We did that. We spent some time in the wilderness in the south, and, and we even went to the, the very first cave where scrolls were discovered for the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was just right here. We had to go into the wilderness and kind of find it. Our, our teacher guided us right to this very cave 
where the very first scroll was found in the 1940s. Um, beyond that, we did many other things. We took a trip to Petra and saw the treasury. Maybe you've seen this in some Indiana Jones movies. It was really uh, an interesting time there. Uh, we also um, took a float in the Dead Sea. We rode a camel, and these are just but a few of the adventures, too many really to, to tell this morning. Um, and, and though we were sightseeing, we did, it was three weeks, and it was a class, and uh, here were our final grades for the class, and lest you are wondering who is smarter between Yvonne and I, I trust if you see the grades up there, you will quickly determine that Yvonne got an A and I got an A- minus for the class, and I've never let her forget that. I'm super encouraged. <laughs> And uh, she says it's just because before we took the final, I, I was so tired I took a nap, is what she says. But I, I just know she's smarter than I am. Uh, more diligent in her studies, just more exact. I guess that's where it was. But pertinent today is what happened on one Sunday when we were there in, uh, in Israel. Um, the date, I can give you the date because I got some pictures. May 31st, 1998. On our dock it was to go to uh, Masada. In the south, that great story, the great fortress where um, the Jews held up against the Roman army for three years and finally committed suicide right before the Romans would capture them. That's a story for another time. But as we walked out of the old city where we stayed to catch our bus, uh, we saw some strange things. So now we had been in, in uh, Jerusalem for quite some time and had seen the Hasidic Jews. These are the Orthodox Jews who wear their, their garb, their black uh, their black outfits, their, their hats. And, and we saw them, of course, all around. But on this particular day, there were swarms of these Hasidic Jews all around. We were like, where do these people come from? I mean, we, we, we didn't know. Like, like, this was totally strange to see how many there were that had actually come. We didn't know why. Our teacher told us, however, that it was Pentecost Sunday. And it was one of those Sundays when people come from all over Israel where they live and really all over the world to come right for this time for this celebration on Pentecost. Here's what Yvonne wrote in our photo album. She wrote this, Sunday, May 31st, 1998. Today is the Jewish holiday of Pentecost, or Shavuot, as the Hebrew word has it. As we walked out of the bus this morning, hundreds of Jews were walking out of the old city having already been at the Western Wall for prayers. Hundreds of Jews that we saw as we went out just this way. I'm sure hundreds of Jews scattered, thousands of Jews scattered all the way out. And they would go to the Western Wall, maybe you've seen that, and they would go and they'd pray, and that was their, their worship. And, and, and what happened in Jerusalem that day happens every Pentecost Sunday, except I'm not sure what it looked like come 2020 with the COVID crisis, I, I, don't, I don't know, probably not that many people as before, but, but hundreds, thousands of people, as they gather all around Israel, all around Jerusalem to gather. Um, but as we look at today in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see a Pentecost Sunday that was unique from any Pentecost Sunday before and unique from any Pentecost Sunday after that. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We've been working our way through Acts. We're done with chapter 1, and today we're in chapter 2. My message this morning is entitled Pentecostal Power. And uh, you hear that word Pentecostal, right? Might Some bells might ring in your mind. Ding, ding, ding. Aren't those, those crazy people who do funny things in church? And 
I say yes. Um, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about what happened, the power on Sunday when Pentecost happened in Jerusalem. I just want to read the text, put it for you um, all the way through verse 41 because this is one unit. And um, just want to, want to do as much as I can just to capture what was happening at that moment. We see here the power of the Holy Spirit coming, and we see Peter then being a witness to the resurrection. <clears throat> read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a mighty a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the, tongue, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own language, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, seeing what was going on and understanding what was going on, Standing with the eleven, the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. I just want to give you an idea of what Peter said as he spoke off the cuff without notes. He said, "Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel." And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let, your, let my soul see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his soul flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then we read in verse 41. And those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. To that short little message that Peter gave, 3,000 people believed and submitted themselves to Christ. And our text begins here on the day of Pentecost. You can see it there in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost is the name of the the Jewish holiday that celebrated 50 days after Passover. You can see that in in the name there. It's Pentecost. Penta means five. It's a a name of a a five-sided figure or as the Department of Defense is housed in the Pentagon or we even call the first five books of the Bible the, the Pentateuch. Pentecost literally means 50th. It's 50 days after the Passover. The Passover is on a Saturday. So 49 days would take you seven weeks out on a Saturday. That 50th day takes you to a Sunday. Pentecost is always on a Sunday. As Passover lies in March or April, um, Pentecost usually lands in late May, sometimes early June. It, It is one of the three major feasts, the Jewish feasts. They're mentioned in Exodus chapter 23. Where the Lord says this, Exodus 23, verse 14. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast for me. And then Moses lists them. Here's the first one. He says, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty handed. This first feast, feast of unleavened bread is called the Passover um, so I said it's March to April of, of every year. It's the time when the people of Israel remember how the Lord passed over the Israelites who had taken the blood and put it on the doorposts of, of their houses. And nobody died in those homes where the blood was. It's a great picture of Jesus, right? When we trust in the blood of Jesus, God will pass over us in judgment because the blood of Jesus will cover us and, and will shield us from the wrath of God. But the the Jews were to celebrate this redemption that God provided. And every year they were commanded to keep this feast. And and then we see in in verse 16 another feast. This is called the Feast of Harvest. You shall keep the Feast of Harvest. 
the first fruits of your labor from what you sow in the field. And this is Pentecost. So we're looking at this morning, the Feast of Harvest. This is the early crops. This is the, the barley harvest, if you will, mentioned in Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. Because the, the, the harvest barley is early in the spring. It might be like our peas, the harvest of the peas. Like they come early. Or maybe some lettuce sometimes comes early. This is the, the Pentecost. And then finally, you've got the, the Feast of Ingathering. In verse 16, you shall keep the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in the field from the fruit of your labor, this is a little bit like our Thanksgiving. It celebrates the end of the growing season. When, when all the harvest has come into the barn, it's an opportunity really to thank the Lord for His goodness, kindness, and providing for us another year. And then we read in verse 17, three times in a year shall all your meals appear before the Lord God. And this is really important to understanding our text this morning because during the days of the Bible, right, the Jews have been scattered throughout all the world. Um, some were living in Asia and some were in Egypt, some in Rome and some in Arabia. And they were commanded to come to Jerusalem three times a year for these feasts. And, and, and sometimes, right, these Jews were, were so far away that there's no way pragmatically in, in those days when it would take you a month or two to travel to a place to travel and then go back. And so for them, it was impossible to come. But for those who were within traveling distance, there was a, a strong pull. Uh, to get to Jerusalem during this day. And, and regardless of how far away a Jew was, right, they, they, they wanted to be there. In fact, at the end of the Passover, even today, uh, one of the songs the Jews sing even today is Lashana Haba Bay Yerushalayim. Next year in Jerusalem is where we'll celebrate the Passover. Because they understand Exodus 23 is the call to be in Jerusalem for this. And so that's why uh, here in, in Pentecost, we see so many people all around. Um, a good illustration comes in Acts chapter 20 when Paul was headed for Jerusalem. And uh, he wanted to get there for the Pentecost. Um, but, but he wanted to see the elders in, in Ephesus. But he knew that if he stopped there, he might not get there in time. And so he went to the shore, called the elders to him. And he didn't want to step foot in Ephesus because he loved the people there. He'd been there for three years. He'd be delayed. So he didn't. He only called the elders and talked with them on the shore as he got on. And this is, kind of gives you a hint of the poll of the Jews to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. <clears throat> Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. It's a high holy day for the Jews. People come from every nation to worship on that day. And, and what Ivan and I experienced in Jerusalem on Pentecost Sunday, which all the Jews all around the world and all around the country of Israel happens every year in Jerusalem. And that's what happened here in chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, all these people had come to worship. And we see that they were together in one place. Now the they here of verse 1 takes us back to chapter 1 where it speaks about the, the 120 people. Chapter 1 verse 15 where the company persons were about 120. We can guess that that's how many people were there. And uh, certainly they were praying and waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had commanded them to do. And in Acts chapter 1, it, it says, Jesus, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And he says, here's the promise of the Father, what it's going to be like. He said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that after the ascension then, it was 10 days later 
then that the Holy Spirit fell. They didn't know it was 10 days, but that was his not many days from now was, was 10 days. It's exactly what took place. Baptized the Holy Spirit on that day. And you remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. That's why I've entitled my message this morning, Pentecostal Power. Because it says in Acts 1.8 that when the Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. Because they experience, right, the power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that day. In fact, this is my first point here this morning, Pentecostal Power experienced. And, and this is what they experienced on that day. Look, look at verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At this point, all I can do is try to describe this event. Um, I, I'm not sure how accurate it will be, but it's just what Luke gives us here in the chapter because it's difficult to understand what, what took place. we got 120 followers all together in one place, one room inside some place, and they were seated down. And then all of a sudden, there was a sudden sound like a rushing wind is what verse 2 says, as if someone had all these big fans. Maybe you've seen those fans that dry out basements. You know, they're, they're huge fans or that, that go into uh, uh, stadiums and just blowing this wind. <laughs> this wind would, would come around. Chaos ensued. The whole, whole room was swirling with air, only... It's not quite, because Luke wrote that it was like a mighty rushing wind. In other words, it wasn't a rushing wind, but it was like a rushing wind. It's the best comparison that Luke could give. Somehow some chaos just started in, in the room, just maybe a sound, a wind. We don't, we don't exactly know. Then another comparison comes in verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, notice Luke's language. It's as of fire. It wasn't fire, but it was like fire. So you've got this rushing wind, and you've got these divided tongues. Now, I have no idea what a divided tongue is. I have never seen a divided tongue. The only tongue I've seen is a cow's tongue, except over in here, except in your mouths. I've seen that. But here's a divided tongue outside, as of fire, resting on people. I have, I have no idea what this would have looked like. People have tried to depict it, and... Uh, Here's a real common picture of what people have depicted it, just with these tongues of fire resting on people. Like, it looks like their, their wig is on fire. Something is what it looks like to me. I, I'm not exactly sure. But this is a real, a real common way of, of picturing things, of flames of fire above the heads of those who are present. But I don't think that really captures it. Like, where's the wind in this? Like, where's the, where's the chaos and the confusion? I, I picture something much more violent, right? Much more confusing. Fire swindling around, chaos and confusion. And, and maybe in, in the midst of this, right, you've got wind blowing, fire twisting. I think that's perhaps even a better picture of what took place. Now, regardless of what took place... I, and regardless of whether we can picture or not what happened, we can understand what happens in verse 4. This is clear as a bell. This is Pentecost power experience. Here it is. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was their experience. You had this crowd of people. Um, 
Uh, like a, a little bit like, uh, say, our fellowship after church when, when, when we get up, like in the days pre-COVID, right? When we get up and kind of we're all, all together, close and, and uh, that sort of thing. And, and only, right, everyone's not speaking English. I, instead, what's happening here in chapter 2 and verse 4 is that they're speaking different languages. So it'd be like all of us after church kind of gathering together and, and you hear that, that buzz of people talking together, yet one person speaking Spanish and another speaking French. And then there's someone speaking Russian and Italian and Chinese. And if you knew languages, right, you can maybe detect, right, the Swedish and the German and the Japanese and, and all these languages all spoken in the crowd. Verse 4, as the Spirit gave utterance. In other words, right, they won't, weren't speaking of their own accord. The Holy Spirit was giving them what to say and the Holy Spirit was giving them what language to say it in. In other words, this was supernatural. This was powerful. Pentecostal power is what this was. And in verses 5 through 13, we see how powerful it was. The, the scene shifts from these disciples in the room as it, as it pans out. We see the crowds outside who are gathered for the Pentecost celebration. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. It just speaks about how many, how many came. And at this sound... Right? They heard these things, so it wasn't, it wasn't quiet. There was a real sound coming in. At this sound, the multitude came together, right? came upon the house, or, or they came out. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And they said, are not all these Galileans? And, and they described about all these different nations in which they were, they were come from. And, and, and they said in verse 11, we... We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 12, and, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? And somehow this experience in the room flowed out to the, the multitudes who were there, the hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who were there, and the, the reaction to the crowd was confusion and, and awe. In fact, look, look, at how, look at how this passage describes their, their, their confusion. Verse 6 says, they were bewildered. And verse 7 says that they were amazed and astonished. And verse 12 says that they were all amazed and perplexed. Like, like amazed, like wow, and yet, and yet sort, of, sort of confused. Right? Because this wasn't merely some ethnically diverse international gathering. With some rumble of many languages spoken in the crowd. This wasn't the UN, right? Rather, this was a homogeneous society, Galileans, displaying linguistic variety. And that blew their minds. You see, it takes years to learn a language, and these disciples spoke languages in a moment that they'd never learned before. Because there's the Holy Spirit pouring out His power upon His people, and that's what they were experiencing some were speaking and some were hearing. Those who were in the room were the ones speaking and the crowds were the ones hearing. And those speaking were from Galilee. And those heard from all over the world. And the amazing, astonishing, perplexing thing is that the Galileans were speaking the languages of the world. Now, we know that they were languages because, as verse 11 says, we hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. There were Parthenians there hearing God speak in their own language. There were Medes 
hearing them speak in their own language. There were Elamites hearing them speak in their own language. There were residents of Mesopotamia hearing their own language. There were residents of Judea hearing their own language. And of Cappadocia, they were hearing their language. And from Pontus, hearing their language. And from Asia, they were hearing their language. And people came from Phrygia and Pamphylia, and they were hearing their own different languages. There were some from Egypt. They were hearing their language. And from Libya, they were hearing their language. There were Romans and Cretans and Arabians hearing their own language. So just picture the scene today. And uh, I forget your name, Rachel. What, what's your name? What? Vivek, that's right. So it's like I'm speaking. Do you know Hindi? Yeah, I'm speaking Hindi. I don't know Hindi. But I'm speaking it, and Vivek's like, whoa, you're, you're from Rockford, and you're speaking Hindi. That's like what it's like. And these people were like amazed, blown away. They were hearing the mighty works of God, as verse 11 says. Maybe they're hearing the Psalms, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Maybe they're hearing Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Or, or Psalm 8, verse 1, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Maybe they were hearing these words of praise to God. Maybe they were hearing the stories of the Old Testament, like the Exodus, God bringing the Jews out of bondage to Pharaoh. Or maybe like the story of David and Goliath, how David trusted in the Lord and conquered David, or conquered Goliath. Or, or maybe like the return of the exiles or, or other mighty works of God. Maybe they were telling the wonders of life of Christ, of Jesus, of Nazareth, the man who lived a perfect life and yet died as a criminal in our place. Died, buried, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. Now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We don't know what mighty works of God they're being told, but we know that they're being told in languages that could be understood. And this is the, the understanding of tongues that ought to be in your minds. People speaking known languages they've never known before. Because too often today, people, even in Pentecostal churches, okay, people think that gibberish is tongues. Where people just make these indistinct sounds like the babble of a baby. And they call it, oh, tongues. Like, did you understand that? No, it's not tongues then. It's understandable language. And the power of the Pentecost Sunday wasn't Babel. Fully understood by people who understood that they were hearing in their own tongues the mighty works of God. That's what the coming of the Holy Spirit with power was, just as Jesus had said. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And notice the second part. He says, and you will be my witnesses. And that's exactly what we see Peter doing. He, he, he received power. He experienced it. And then he was his witness. He explained it. Verses 14 and following. And the accusation which prompted his explanation comes in verse 13. Others were mocking and said they're filled with new wine, right? So some were in awe and some were mocking. Ah, oh, no, they're, they're just drunk is what was being said. And Peter then explained this accusation. He said these people weren't drunk, verse 14. He says, men of Judea and you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, right? Get it clear in your skulls that these people are not drunk as you suppose. 
since it's only the third hour of the day. Now, according to the Jewish clock, the first hour is when the sun rises, generally about 6 a.m. in the morning. And the third hour of the day would put you at 9 o'clock in the morning. Good. Whoever said that? I, was that you, Thatcher? Good job. I know you're paying attention. Wonderful. 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter said, people don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. That is, unless you go to Knox College, where I went to school. Knox College is a liberal arts, non-Christian school where I went to college. Had a great time there. Wouldn't exchange my experiences for the world, but I'd never let my kids go there. It uh, was uh, is, is a time of testing for me. Um, it was an ungodly place, a place to try to rip down your faith. Even I remember one time my basketball coach, having returned and gone back there, said, Steve, we really tested you, didn't we? He's an unbeliever. He, he challenged me kind of with his finger. We really tested you. Just trying to pull you away from your Christian faith is what he did. But anyway, I saw some of my students filled with new wine in the early hours of day. But this wasn't the pattern. Usually, students got drunk at night at the parties. But on one occasion every year, students would drink early in the morning. And this occasion was called Flunk Day at Knox College. Spring semester every year, they had Flunk Day, where you had um, students who would, no one knew when this day was until like the morning of. And about four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, people would, would, would knock on your doors, blow your whistles, flunk day. And with full support of the administration, it was party day. And uh, all sorts of games were played. You had uh, muddy pits, you had tug of war, you had water balloon fights, you had other activities like zip lines and roller blades and bounce houses. Sometimes even Abe Lincoln would show up and maybe he'd join in a game of, of softball or, or something like that. It was music, dancing, and of course drinking. If you're waking up at four in the morning, classes canceled for the day, many people were drunk the third hour of the day. As they begin drinking their beer or their wine bottle that they had saved up for the day that, that flunk day would come. And everyone's outside frolicking about, dancing in the streets, literally, of the college. And yelling, happy flunk day, happy flunk day to everybody. And I, and I saw plenty, plenty of people drunk at 9 a.m. Um, that's not the norm. Only once a year that happened. And that's what, what Peter's pointing out. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But it wasn't flunk day in Jerusalem on that Sunday. It was a day of Pentecost. The Spirit had arrived, and Peter explains its arrival. In verse 14 through 21, he says this, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So in other words, Joel prophesied right, some 700 years before, and says what's happening today is what Joel said would happen. And he explains, Explains that this is the fulfillment found in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And Joel prophesied of the day that the Spirit would come and, and everyone would prophesy, young and old and men and women. And that's what he says in verse 17 through 18. And in the last day, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. He says, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I have no doubt in my mind that of those 120 or so that were seated, seated there in the house, 
There were young and there were old and there were men and there were women and there were servants. There were male servants and there were female servants and they were all there together and they all received the spirit and they all were speaking in foreign language unknown to them that others understood. And this is called prophecy. They prophesied. And this was the sign that the spirit that Joel had prophesied. This was Pentecostal power. Spirit coming upon men and women and young and old, speaking in a miraculous way, God using them to proclaim his mighty deeds. And, and really, it was the dawning of a new day. That's what this is signaling. right? In the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Here is the last days. What God did in that occasion, right? showing forth the spirit of God is here to stay. Because you think about when people of God in the Old Testament were filled with the Spirit of God, it was only certain men for specific tasks, whether it was Joshua or or David to to lead the people of God, or whether it was Samson to deliver people from the Philistines, or as Troy read today, Eldad and Medad, the Spirit came upon them so as to prophesy, or maybe Ezra to teach the people of God. But in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit would come and go according to the need of the moment. That's why David prayed in Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me after he sinned with Bathsheba, but restore to me the joy of my salvation. Psalm 51, verse 12. In other words, David saw the Spirit come upon Saul and the Spirit leave Saul. And David knew that Spirit was coming upon him to rule and reign as king, but he messed up with Bathsheba. And he said, don't take this Spirit from me. Don't take away my kingdom. Don't take away my empowering to to lead these people. That's the sort of prayer that we don't need to worry about praying today because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell upon us, never to leave us, but to always be with us. As Jesus said, John 14 to 16, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's your comforter. He's your helper. He's the one that the the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the the Spirit that comes and works among us for our sanctification. The Spirit's not leaving us. And the day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit's announcement that He is here to stay. This is, if you will, the the Christmas of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've said that before. This is the time when the Holy Spirit came. Not like Jesus who came humbly. This is the Spirit who came with great show, right? Uh, it's interesting, Jesus came humbly, and yet his life then has been manifest. He's been put on display. The Holy Spirit comes in great power, but yet he like reduces, minimizes, and points to Jesus, always showing us and directing us who Jesus is. But this was the announcement. I just say, are you thankful? Are you thankful for this day, the Spirit coming upon us? Now, there were some things in Joel's prophecy that didn't take place on that day, 19 and 20, about the the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. That's because Joel in his prophecy was even talking about two days, talking about the day in which Jesus came and poured out his spirit, but he's also talking about that day in which God will come, destroy the things of the earth, the sun should be turned to darkness, the moon to blood when he comes to finally judge the earth. It's the day of the Lord. In fact, if you read Joel, Joel is all about the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord comes to avenge um, his enemies and to rule the world and to bring his friends in. That's what Joel is about. But we see even here gospel light about the days of Jesus in verse 17 and 18. But I think Peter quoted all the way to verse 21 because he wanted 21 to come with full effect. He says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And, and here is Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost. You think about everything that's happened to Peter. Right? He's been with Jesus for three years. But even then he denied him on that day when Jesus needed him most. And then Jesus died, rose again, and was with Peter, restored him. You can read about that in John chapter 21. And then he went up to heaven. He says, you just wait. And so here's Peter gone through with Jesus. He's got the words of eternal life. He's staying with him, and yet he was unfaithful to him. But now he's restored and believing and understanding that salvation is in, in no one else other than in Jesus. And, and now he knows clearly in the light of uh, Joel 2 that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that gives us great hope. Then in the midst of these days, in the midst of these days of America and all the problems that we're facing, whether it's racial problems or political problems or virus problems or disunity or whatever, we know today that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that should give you hope here today. You simply need to to call upon Jesus. You, You need to just confess your sin and confess your need of hope to Christ and just say, Jesus, I I need you. And that's what salvation is all about, is just calling upon the name of the Lord. And the promise is, if you, if you seek Him, if you call upon Him, if you seek Him with all your heart, you'll be saved. And you'll know the joy of Christ. You'll know the joy to help get you through the trials of life that we have. That is, that is Pentecostal power. And, and, and I find interesting here that as many people were there in Jerusalem filling, filling the place, it's no accident that 3,000 people heard, verse 41, 3,000 people that day were heard, received the word, were baptized in, in demonstration of their trust in him. And, and you say, well, who is this Jesus? Well, we'll get to that next week as we look at verses 22 uh, through 36. That this speaks about, about Jesus and how he walked the earth and how even though he died, Psalm 16 promised that he, he could not experience corruption. And the Psalm 110 says that he will raise and he will seat at the right hand of God. And these are prophecies of David. David's flesh experienced corruption and David didn't go up to the heavens. But Jesus didn't experience corruption. He was raised from the dead. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that's the Jesus we need to trust in. And that's the the Jesus even that uh, Peter says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this for everyone who believes the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Will indwell you. Will empower you. Will change your life if you but believe and but call upon the name of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would see this Pentecostal power. Which was a, a once in a, a lifetime event, if you will a once-in-history event of, uh, of the Spirit coming upon the world at its inauguration, God, when the church began. God, just a, a new time in the, the life of your people, that all of your people will be filled with your Spirit. And I pray that we might even look to this day when the power was manifest clearly on that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago and has implication to today that it that it keeps us and sustains us even through this day. So, Father, I would pray that you would uh, be with us. God, convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come in those who don't believe. And for us who believe, I pray that we would entrust you with our whole souls for our, our whole lives. Thank you for this day. In Christ's name, amen.